Welcome to episode 24 of the Warrior Pulse podcast. Today, I have the honor of actually interviewing one of my own, Jorge Cavero. I am Trey Heath, the men's and women's tennis coach here at Weber and the host of the Warrior Pulse podcast. Jorge is from Lima, Peru. He's doing his master's here at Weber, and he's got a pretty interesting story of the journey of his career to getting to this point almost 29 years old so Jorge welcome to the podcast and uh, I really want to start out with tell me a little bit about Lima Peru thank you coach thank you for the invite well Lima it's the capital of Peru it's a very very big city we're almost 10 million people um, well there's much to do in Lima you have the it's, a, it's next to the beach you can there's a lot of social life going on and um, well in my personal opinion I normally spend a lot of time with my family in the weekends or with friends uh, that was before COVID obviously but um, it's a very it's a very cultural city the food is awesome all over Peru it has a lot of touristic places to visit uh, a lot of museums um, has a lot of history Peru in overall is a it's a very historic uh, country. Well, I, I knew that Lima. We had talked about Lima being so big, and you're here in Babson Park. Yeah. How how has the cultural shift been for you, coming from 10 million to less than 2,000? Well, to answer that, I have to go back where I did my undergrad, because it was basically the same scenario. I went to a small city. It was basically a 50,000 people city, so definitely going from a 10 million uh, population city to a 50,000, it was a big change. Um, first of all, the weather, that was the first thing that impacted me. I was up in the north in Illinois, so it was very, very cold. Um, also, there was not much going on. It was a college city, so um, that kind of impacted me at the beginning, but I mean, one of the things that I, I think it helped me a lot it was that before college I was a professional tennis player and that helped me travel a lot and I was by my own a lot, uh, visiting big cities, small cities as well, staying there for a few weeks. So I think that kind of helped me a lot to get used to a different culture, a different city, small things. So yeah, that, that, that definitely helped me. So you made it to the States from Lima, this big city, to two smaller cities. And then Peru, which obviously doesn't pair, compare to the grandiose size of like a U.S., but Peru being uh, a rich South American country, what, what makes Peru such a great place to live? Well, Peru, I will say that what makes it a great place to live is its, its culture. Like I said, we are very well known for having delicious food, and it's a mixture of not only Peruvian culture, but also cultures from different countries. If you go back to history and from Peru, a lot of people from from Asia, a lot of people, well, we got conquered by the Spaniards. So all of that mixes with the, with the Peruvian ingredients, let's call it, that made it a, a, a very cultural country. So yeah, food-wise, I mean, like I said, it has a lot of history. Um, it has places where literally the, the buildings are still the way they were back uh, thousands of years ago, not to mention Machu Picchu, which is one of the wonders of the world, which is amazing. I've, I've had the opportunity to be in there, so it's, it's really an awesome place. It's awesome. What's the number one export that Peru um, offers to the rest of the world? And um, you and I have talked a little bit off the, off the books on 
you guys have some of the best cotton is what you were telling me so what's the number one export and also what's what about the agricultural status of peru well i think peru moves a lot because of its mining i would say that's number one definitely the mining um, gold silver copper etc then i like i mentioned i mentioned before it has a uh, it has very good quality cotton and i'm sure we're going to talk about that uh, after <laughs> yeah. because yeah and then um Agriculture, like I said, food-wise is very rich. Peru has, for example, like 3,000 types of potatoes. Like there is literally a, a, a center of potatoes in Peru where they have all types of seed of potatoes. And it's amazing, it's amazing. There's, there's, there's also a documentary on Netflix where you can learn more about that and they literally have like a bank, a seed bank of all the of all the of the potato seeds in it's and this is placed in Peru, but yeah, we have a lot of a lot of um, very particular foods that um, are being exported to all over the world. All right, so there's some little knowledge for you. I'm gonna have to go to Netflix. I'm gonna learn about yeah. the Peruvian three thousand potato seed farm because that sounds pretty cool, actually. Um, you're a tennis player. How did you get into tennis with all of the things that are possible to do? How did you end up playing tennis as a kid? Well, I have to go back when I was six years old approximately. And the first sport that I did competitively was swimming. And to be honest, I was really good at swimming. I, uh, I had the opportunity to travel to in all over South America to play to swim and com- compete in tournaments. But it got to a point where I felt that I I didn't like swimming. I just didn't like the thing of going back and forth. <laughs> but that was just me. Yeah. That was just me. I mean, I have a lot of respect for, for professional swimmers, so it's amazing what they do. But um, I remember one day I was swimming at a club and my brother, he was playing tennis at the same club in an academy. And I had asthma as a kid. And... As a kid, I remember that day I faked I had an asthma attack. I faked I had an asthma attack and I told my mom, mom, I can't swim, uh, I can't breathe. So, and the coach also said, okay, stop. And what I did there, I, I remember clearly, I went to the tennis courts and I saw my brother practicing in the academy with all the other kids. And when we got home, I was like, mom, I don't want to swim anymore. I want to play tennis. And that was probably when I was like seven or eight and the next day she signed me up in the tennis academy I've also played before with uh, with my grandparents with my granddad and my brother at my house against the wall and also in some courts but nothing nothing more than that but that was I felt like that was the starting point from my tennis career let's call it yeah when I was almost eight eight and a half I started playing tennis in the academy, training uh, three times a week, I remember. And after that, we all traveled to the United States, to California, to live for four years with my parents and my brother. So, tennis started because you faked a a major health crisis. Yeah. I like it. I like it a lot. (laughs) So, um, I want to jump in. We're going to jump out of the tennis for a second. You, You moved to California for four years. What, what led to the family moving to California? What was that for for your parents? Well, my dad got a real estate job over there. So we all decided to move to California. 
and um, yeah, we, we started living there. We started, we pretty much started from zero. We we had luck that we arrived to a, a family's place. We stayed there for a few months, and then we kind of moved to our own place and started up from there. No, from the beginning, everything. I mean, I had to go to school there. It was a big change. I didn't know English at all. Luckily, I was a kid, and as a kid, you learn things very, very quick. So. I went to elementary school there, I went to junior high, and after all those four years, I was also still playing tennis competitively, that's where I started to take it serious. And after the four years, we, we decided to come back to visit our families, but we decided to stay. Okay. Yeah. So, what led, so you go back to Peru, you're playing tennis, and obviously you're probably starting to get fairly skilled in the sport at this point. What was the thought process as a middle school high school kid I'm going pro or I'm going to college what was the dream well back home well back in that was in 2009 where I finished high school and back in the days college tennis was not so famous in in South America so if you were if you were a competitive tennis player finishing high school the next step was going pro like to be honest, what, how how people in South America saw the college world, college tennis world was like a like a like a second plate, like a second like a second road to go, not yeah. the main one. So all the ones that didn't that couldn't make it a pro went to college. But um, I was lucky; I, I chose the right path. To be honest, um, I went to college, got got a uh, got ranked in the ITF in the ITF ranking, the world ranking for junior players. And um, got a few contacts from coaches here and there and decided to go to college in Illinois. And that was an awesome experience. I think that's where I improved the most, uh, tennis-wise and also as a person. And what did you study? Because you talked about having the opportunity to go play college tennis versus what most South Americans think you should do is go try the, the pro life. What did you study? And after you finished studying that undergraduate graduate degree, was there the, I'm going to go give this a try, or I'm going to go be a professional business person? Which, what was the thought? Oh, yeah. When I went to college, I knew since day one that after I was done with college, I would try pro. Okay. And um, I studied business management, did the four years. I registered one year. I got injured. And after I graduated... Literally two days after I was home getting ready for tournaments for futures tournament for professional tournaments like the, the first level of professional uh, competition and I, I felt so much confident with my game that the first tournament I played I did semifinals so I, I got ranked professionally and I, I, I got ATP points which is a professional ranking and, but I knew, I knew, um, I knew since the beginning I, I wanted to be a professional player. But um, I, I had the, the sponsors, I, everything was in place. But that was in May 2014, so I played Futures all that year. But uh, by the end of the year, all of my sponsors stepped aside. You know how expensive yeah. tennis is for a, a professional level, so I had to step down and and. I had to take the, the corporate world path. Okay. So it didn't work for you, but you still got to chase the dream. This is always that hard question. Um, 
I always say I ran out of talent. I had heart. I had desire. Obviously, finances are always tough. Did you have it or were you going to give it just a great shot? You know, there's those special players. Like, being top 100 in the world is amazing. Being top 500 in the world is really amazing. You, You got to the highest ranking of 1,076. So, were you there like, yes, I can go higher or... Man, this was a fun experiment. Which one? Which way do you think? I I know I know I could have gone higher. Um, it was not all, only the the financial issue. It was also a game problem. Mentally, I was not as strong as the top players. I'm not. I'm, when I say top, I don't mean the top hundred. Yeah. I mean the let's say 600, 500, 400 ATP ranking players. But um. I think the mental the mental part in tennis is so huge and that's what makes a difference and I've realized this a, f- a few years ago like when you get to the professional level everybody knows how to hit a forehand everybody knows how to how to hit a decent backhand a decent serve a decent volley but what makes the difference is how well can you play when it's deuce how well can you play when it's a tight rip how well can you play when it's five all in the third set that's what makes a difference well, it's funny that you say that. I actually have a quote from Victoria Azarenka. If you still have one more point to play, no matter what the score is, you still have a chance to make a difference in your favor. And you talk about that that mental side. Um, it's so true. I mean, it, mm-hmm. y- y- we've all seen tennis go from like this guy's killing this person to the point that all of a sudden they're losing. And, and we see it in the collegiate side. And someone that's playing at your level on that journey, you see it every day. Because some people, they're playing for their food. Is basically what they're playing for. Um, we'll finish up with the pro talk stuff. How did you enjoy the journey of that process of trying to be pro? I enjoyed it a lot. I met a lot of awesome people, got to know uh, different places. Luckily, as a junior and also as a as a professional player, I got to know pretty much all South America thanks to tennis. I've got I've got the chance I had the chance to to visit Europe as well because of tennis. I have had the chance to get my degree because of tennis. So um, I think the the professional tennis career or well, the short professional tennis career that I've had it was a very rich one. I I don't regret any second of it. It's awesome. So from 2015 to 2020, you worked at different companies the mining and banking industry you leave this this fledgling professional career playing traveling south and now you're in an office how hard was that transition and how did you adjust to it that you're like okay i'm good with this it was very tough coach actually um i remember my first experience in the in yeah it was in the mining company and literally going from having a day where you run for six hours in the court and conditioning for two hours and then going to a world where you have to sit in a desk from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. and you only get one hour and a half for lunch. It was a huge change. At the beginning, it was very, very hard to to get used to, but um, you get used to it. I was there for a long time. you, you learn a lot of things. I, I, I learned a lot of things in the in, in, in both industries. How to how business is handled, how 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 managers manage people. A lot. I learned a lot about the mining industry. I was in the accounting department, and yeah, I mean, 
you get used to it at the beginning it's always tough it's a new change it's a very big change but you get used in the road down the road so we're about to touch on some of your entrepreneurial stuff and, and before we go there I, I think a lot of solo athletes uh, the golfers tennis players race car drivers they're a very entrepreneurial person because a lot of the time their success is a derivative of their work uh, their own work it's not a relying upon a team it's it's them they create a team but so does an entrepreneurial entrepreneurial uh, person you in 2019 started your own athletic apparel brand called Athleos why well um, I'm the person that thinks that in the future I don't want to be working for somebody else's dream I don't want to be going I don't want my days to be to go to a business and sit there from nine to six. I want to build my own dream. I want to manage my own time. And maybe in the future, if I have kids, I want to spend time with my family, you know? And I know, I know that's hard if you, have a, if you have a job where you have to go from nine to six. So apart from that, I also didn't want to leave the sport uh, 100%. So I decided, what can I do in order to get back into sports. I know I don't like coaching tennis because I do not have the patience. And thinking about it, I was like, why not come up with a sports brand? I mean, I, I know what um, what athletes are looking for when they when they are looking for, for athletic apparel. And I can I can try the clothes. I have friends who who still play pro. I have friends in the tennis world and it was it was a pretty good scenario. That's so that's why I gave it a shot. Yep. So where did that entrepreneurial spirit come from? Is 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 the entrepreneurial spirit big in Peru, or is this something that you learned from your time, your multiple times in the states? Because we talk about in the United States of the entrepreneurial spirit, spirit, but we don't really hear it much from other countries. Is that something you learned in Peru, or is that learned elsewhere? That's a good question, Coach. Um, Peru is ranked. Second is the, is the second best country in terms of entrepreneurial spirit. I don't know how to measure that, yeah. but in Peru, if you go to Peru, everybody, not everybody, but at least I would say 70, 80% of the, of the population have an, uh, are entrepreneurs. They have their own business. And you can see the little markets here and there, people selling fruits, people selling clothes, people selling everything. I mean, per, the per, I will say Peruvians are very entrepreneurial people. Yep. Okay. So the side hustle turns into a brand and then all of a sudden COVID hits. Just, you're just working on it. How did you have to shift your entrepreneurial focus during the pandemic? And I say that knowing one of the answers to that question, how did you shift your focus for marketing and what did you do to guarantee that you had an influx of money coming in? Well, when the when the pandemic hit, um, I well, first of all, I I, I launched some T-shirts and shorts that I was selling. Um, it was it was not going pretty well, but when the pandemic hit, I think it, um, it benefited Atlas. Why? Because a lot of accessories came. Um, very famous in the market and what I mean by that there are the negators for example you know the negators what they mm -hmm. use for running 
that came very popular in, in, in Peru. And I decided to not focus much on the clothing itself, but also but sell more accessories, in this case, the neck getters. And it was a boom. I, um, I launched a, a few designs here and there, and people started to like it, to request it. I, I, I started to launch more designs. And, and it was a boom, like people really, really liked it. And I think that was, that's like the, the, the star product of Atlios right now. And that's what people are requesting a lot. And that's, I think that's how the, the brand has gotten very famous. And that has given me the chance to use the, the brand recognition that Atlios is starting to have in, to introduce new products. And yeah, I'm, I'm basically using this 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 star product that I call it the negators to start introducing new products into the market and that that's really going well. Yep. Well, you are not the first person that started a successful business during a downtime. Uh, it's funny how that happens and and you know was it the mother of a necessity is invention or something of that I can't remember that phrase but. The sports apparel market and clothing in general is a cutthroat business. Are you? Are you mom and popping it? Are you packing stuff up in your apartment and shipping it out? Or do you have a warehouse and are you sourcing the cotton yourself and trying on the clothes? How are you, how are you managing this while being in America trying to get a master's degree? Yeah. So before the pandemic and during the few months of the pandemic, I was doing everything by myself in-house packing, going to suppliers here and there, getting the, the clothing ready. The shipping, everything was me, and I when when I when I received the opportunity to come to Weber, I remember at one point I thought about like leaving Atlios because I was like I'm gonna do an MBA, I'm gonna be playing tennis, I'm not gonna be where Atlios operates. How am I gonna manage this? So I, I at one point I thought of of just stopping Atlios, but. Um, one of the persons that convinced me to keep going was my mom. She literally told me I can help you ship the things. And, and that was awesome because right now that's how, that's how Atlas is working. With the technology also, it's, it's, it's much easier. But um, every night I call her and we are uh, preparing all the shipments for the next day. So during the day I receive the orders here and there, talk to clients, try to sell things. And at night, I call my mom, and we we prepare the the shipments for the next days, and that's every day. Wow, that's how it works. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. That's that's good time management, and I think I think you're on the right track. What's next for Athleos? Well, my ultimate goal for Athleos is for it to become the best brand, the best national brand in Peru. I don't want to beat Nike or Adidas. I mean, that's pretty much impossible because they're so big. But I. My, I would like to see Atlios being the brand of professional Peruvian players at the beginning. So I want the, the, the professional Peruvian players to wear Atlios because I know I know it's a, it's the, I know I know the quality and the quality and the products that we sell it's, they're, they're very good and I emphasize that a lot. I am really careful with that because I want I want my clients to have the best product. And I'm the ones. I'm the one who tries the, the the products before launching them. So that's my ultimate goal. What's coming up next? I am 
launching in the next month i'm gonna be launching some socks some hats and some performance shorts i call them performance shorts because i wanna i want people to use them for like competition i have some other types of shorts that are for trainings but that's how i segment my products awesome all right so we're gonna wrap this up uh here shortly but I got, I got an entrepreneurial quote for you. Some people like him, some people hate him, but you can't argue with his success, Steve Jobs. I'm convinced that about half of what separates successful entrepreneurs from non-successful ones is pure perseverance. And I'm gonna ramble on for a moment because you were a swimmer, you decided, you saw tennis, you faked a health problem so that you could start playing tennis. You got good in tennis, you started traveling with tennis, you became a professional in tennis. That opened the door to become Go play college tennis. You get a degree. You try, you have to go work. You then start out your own brand during a pandemic. And oh, by the way, I'm gonna go to America and get an MBA. You've dealt with COVID. You've dealt with a tennis program that's kind of starting back up, that's faltered. But you also have still continued to be competitive while here studying. You just won a tournament last weekend. So, how are you have you are showing that perseverance of being a good entrepreneur how do you set that example for yourself and how do you share that with others like hey look i can do it and i came i was a swimmer who faked it like how do you how do you share that with others because it's an amazing story of what you're doing and that you're being successful in all the facets that you're attempting how do you share that yeah well first i think the the hardest things to achieve are the the ones you have to work the the most for so perseverance is key it's key it's a lot of trial and error i mean nothing nothing easy is gonna come so for example setting the example of the tournament that i won i've been practicing on my own as well for 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 uh, for several hours not just tennis and conditioning but i do a lot of stuff on my own and that's something I, I didn't do in the past when I was a professional player, for example. So you have to be willing to do things that others are not willing to do. I know, and I know you guys probably have heard this uh, very, um, many times, but it's so true. Yeah. You have to be willing to do things that others don't do. For example, waking up in the mor- very early in the morning, or staying up at night, uh, looking at your business, what's gonna co- come up next maybe not sleeping one night, all those things, all those little things add up and that's what makes a difference for sure, 100%. All right, two more questions and then we'll call it because I could talk to you for hours because I'm so curious as to your drive, but let's do this. What's the greatest lesson that you learned and how did you use it? That's one question. The greatest lesson that I've learned? Um, I will say, enjoy enjoy every second that you have uh, with your passion I mean you never know how long your passion is gonna last and I've, I've experienced that I thought after graduating college I was gonna be a professional player for many years to come but I only had six months and it kind of caught me cold by the end of that year when I decided to quit because of the, the, the problems that I, I just talked about. And I wish I could have known that 
I only had six months or I could enjoy more every every moment of it so yeah what I can say is if you have found your passion enjoy every every second of it because you you don't know how long it's gonna last dang it man you made me ask another question now because since you have that thought process now the way you attack your MBA the way you attack your conditioning now on a your personal level and the way you're working to structure Athleos is that lesson driving you now? What What do you mean? Sorry. The The fact that you you felt that passion and you only had it for six months, mm. and you say you better enjoy it. Does that Does that lesson of hanging, enjoying your passion daily, is that Is that what drives you now? Yeah, I will say in 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 part, yeah, because nobody knows what's gonna happen tomorrow, and and that's the truth, coach. You You don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow, and if for Atlios, Atlios is like my little baby, you know, and and I am working for it, and as, as as much as possible with all the time-consuming things that I have, but um, uh, I'm trying to enjoy enjoy the the path. I know it's just the beginning. It's still a side hustle. It's a small company. It has a long way to go, but uh, I have I'm happy for it because I know it has potential, and the the road is very long. But like I said, I'm trying to enjoy it because anything could happen tomorrow. All right, last question. Um, I, I failed to ask it a couple times because, you know, I'm almost a senior citizen, so sometimes it happens. But as someone who's been through a lot and you are now a Weber warrior, what does it mean in your mind? What does being a warrior mean? Well, first of all, um, I think, well, I, I'm very thankful with Weber because it has given me the chance to come to college and and study and play tennis at the same time i've never like a year ago i've, I've never thought of, that would happen but um yeah being a, a a warrior i think uh it 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 motivates me it motivates me to to be a better player um, i'm always going to be thankful to whoever because i know i know that back home i'm, I'm not able to study and play tennis or play tournaments uh, like I'm doing right now, so I'm very thankful with that. It has made me fall in love with tennis again. It has made me like tennis more again. It has it motivates me to go and practice, to go and get my MBA because um, I'm, I'm very I'm very thankful for for that opportunity that it has given me. Well, guys. Jorge comes to you with a lot of experience, whether that's professional athletics, whether it's entrepreneurship, whether it's working in the corporate world, um, through the support of family, through the support of friends, um, love and loss, gain and gain and gain and loss as well. Jorge is the epitome of what it means to strive for something and work until it's done, one way or the other. Whether that's you try the professional stuff and it didn't work or it was taken away, or you have a dream and you're working in that dream until you can work it no longer. I want to thank Jorge for his time and thank you for joining us on episode 24 of the Warrior Pulse. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you.